We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps. And I'm joining the studio this evening by regular commentator Sean Su. It's great to be back. And Dimitri Buras of Now Media. Hi, good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing a rally in downtown Taipei showing solidarity with the Ukrainian people. Taiwan raising funds to help Ukrainian refugees and the government also considering allowing Ukrainian students and scholars to enter the island. A bill in the United States Congress that includes a ban on maps depicting Taiwan as part of China is set to become law. Questions over the Taoyuan International Airport power outage and the National Development Council set to unveil its roadmap for net zero emissions by the end of this month. But we'll begin with Foreign Minister Joseph Wu on Wednesday of this week, stressing the need for Taiwan to be ready to defend itself against a possible attack by China. The call came after Wu told lawmakers about the contents of documents, reportedly showing that China's President Xi Jinping had considered invading Taiwan this fall. The documents were released on social media last week by exiled Russian dissident Vladimir Osekin, the founder of the France-based human rights group Gulagunet. The dissident referenced the documents as purportedly being leaked by Russian intelligence. And Osekin said that she was at least considering taking over Taiwan in this fall, as he needs his own little victory to get re-elected for a third term amid what he called a colossal struggle within the elite in China. And he went on to cite the documents as saying that the window of opportunity has been closed following events in Ukraine, which gives the US the opportunity to both blackmail Xi and negotiate with his competitors on favourable terms. Now, the exiled Russian dissident also said the documents were written by an analyst for the Russian Federal Security Service. A Defence Ministry spokesperson here refused to comment directly on the matter when questioned by the local media, saying only that the military continues to closely monitor Chinese actions and is preparing necessary actions to defend national security and Taiwan. Now, the release of the documents comes as Chinese officials have been proposing a bill that promotes unification with Taiwan. And according to China's Taiwan Affairs Office, the bill will strengthen Beijing's legal means and laws aimed at curbing Taiwan's separatist forces and also promoting the process of unification with the motherland. Of course, here in Taiwan and beyond, the bill is being seen as a way that Beijing could simply justify an invasion. So, Sean, of course, Interesting comments by this Russian dissident chap, but of course some question over whether these documents were real, fake, or maybe a bit smudged. Well, uh, one of the things is I actually read every single one of those supposed releases, but uh, I feel that there might be a tone shift in the latest one that actually mentions Taiwan. Uh, you know, it, it, so it's really hard to verify. Just like Joseph who said, it's it's impossible to verify if it is real or not. That said, uh, there's some parts that do sort of match up, which is that uh, the best time to invade Taiwan from China, uh, due to the conditions in the Taiwan Strait, would be in April or October. So if they said fall and they're referencing October, maybe that could hold true. However, the reason I have difficulty believing this is because for Xi Jinping. The CPC Party Congress, which will decide whether she gets a third term, is also in October. And the thing is, he stands to create a lot more risk 
right now by trying to invade Taiwan in October, as opposed to doing very little right now, like keeping the course where he's almost certainly going to get a third term, if not become president or chairman for life in China. So why would he have to take this added risk at the same time? After all, the conditions in the Taiwan Strait only gets worse as you get deeper into October. So it makes me feel like this, uh, this, these leaks, they read well, they're certainly entertaining. They are something that you would hope to see, but again, it's very hard to see if this is real or not, so. Of course, Sean, you mentioned some of the language used. Yeah, I just I can't put my uh, words on exactly what it is that feels different, but this one just somehow reads differently. Now that could be any number of factors. People do change their tone as well, but uh, I do think there's a lot of skeptical uh, skeptics on the internet on whether this last leak is for real. Well, I don't know. We we really don't need a leaked intelligence report to know that Taiwan is a top security concern for China. Over the past 70 years, China has said many times that its military would cross the Taiwan Strait if Taiwan attempts to officially declare independence. What we also know is that there is an election this year, and China, willingly or not, is the most polarizing topic in Taiwan. During the previous two elections, China was at the heart of the campaign, which is a regular thing. But we shouldn't use it as a way to skip more important topics like the growing poverty gap in Taiwan M-shaped society, the brain drain, population aging, low income, soaring inflation and more. China, China and China. And that's what you are told when you question the government policies these days. Well, we ask for strategic clarity. And now it's crystal clear. So the government and our top YouTuber, the Ministry of uh, uh, Foreign Affairs, they need to sort these things out. But even if it's a leaked report, there are more to say. And we actually we are looking forward to ways to ways to maybe solve this problem. Uh, we're just adding information to unverified information to unverified information to scare everybody around, and that's not useful. And Sean, what about the Chinese Taiwan Affairs Office saying that it's announcing this week that they're looking for a bill to strengthen Beijing legal means and laws aimed at curbing Taiwan's separatist forces and promoting the process of unification with the motherland? Well, I mean, similarly, it can be said that China itself also spends a lot of time not talking about internal problems. Uh, for instance, a lot of its uh, developers actually uh, defaulting and you know, all these economic problems in China are only exacerbated there, but they're not talking about that, Taiwan makes a convenient scapegoat. So them passing all these laws might really scratch the itch that many Chinese nationalists in China have. But I don't know if it actually solves anything because, you know, they can pass all these number of laws and claim it applies to the rest of the world. But it really doesn't. Uh, case in point, just just a few days ago, uh, Hong Kong claimed that their NSL law, uh, the NSL applies to a person in based in London, uh, who ha maintains a website that you know Hong Kong Watch that criticizes the Hong Kong uh, Hong Kong officials, and so. How does that change anything? Does that mean China will actually send people to London to arrest this person? I doubt it. Uh, so it's the same thing. Like uh, China will always pass new laws. They did last time, a long time ago, with the anti-secession law. Granted, they did not see the need to pass new laws 
until now. But hey, you know, this is something China has done for a long time. They can claim that uh, Taiwan is separatist and all that. But I personally hold the position that many Taiwanese do as well, that Taiwan is already independent. Uh, I don't see how uh, our government, which is older than the Chinese government, uh, needs to declare independence at all. And this is a popular position in Taiwan. So China will continue passing more laws that promote its fiction. And, you know, uh, nothing will change until it takes actual uh, military action. We can't expect them to do anything. Uh, okay, let's put it this way. Uh, let's take more time. Uh, let's, and especially for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, let's take more time to discuss and pose instead of responding to whatever statement that the Chinese government make. What can and how can the Chinese, the Taiwanese government uh, improve relations and soften, uh, well, relations with China on the short term? That I think for me, that would be the, the, the biggest concern would be to avoid the war. Just adding, and as, as I just said, unverified information to unverified information is not going to help you in any ways. Knowing that most of Taiwan exports still go to mainland China. And businesses need help to solve real problems they face in China. And these problems will continue to increase over time. So what can the government do to help these people? I think that's the most and the most pressing issue. And as the war in Ukraine rages on this week, people here in Taiwan are continuing to voice their support for the Eastern European country and its people. Hundreds of people took to the streets of Taipei this past Sunday to show their solidarity with the Ukrainian people. The rally featured speeches by Ukrainians here in Taiwan and their Taiwanese supporters, as well as performances of the Ukrainian national anthem. And it wound its way through the main thoroughfares of Taipei to the road in front of the presidential office. The rally was organised by local groups and several Taiwan-based Ukrainians and they called on the public here to continue to support Ukraine, make donations to help the Ukrainian people and also talk to companies in Taiwan that are still refusing to pull out of Russia. Now the rally came days before the Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced the government will be donating 11.5 million US dollars to help Ukrainians who have fled the war in their country. According to the Ministry, the funds will be donated to the governments of five European European Union member states for distribution. 6.5 million US dollars will be sent to the government of Poland, $500,000 to Lithuania and $1.5 million each to the governments of Slovakia, Hungary and the Czech Republic. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs is saying those five governments will distribute the funds to non-governmental organisations in their respective countries that are assisting Ukrainian refugees. The Foreign Ministry this week also said that a donation drive for the people of Ukraine has been seeing good public response since March the 7th when it was first announced. And the Foreign Ministry says over 1,700 people have dropped off donations directly at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs building, while well over 4,000 donated packages had been received by mail. And if that wasn't all enough, then the Foreign Minister Joseph Wu on Wednesday announced that the government is considering allowing Ukrainian students and scholars to enter Taiwan for temporary stays. Wu says Taiwan is currently unable to take in large numbers of Ukrainian refugees due simply to the lack of a comprehensive refugee act here in Taiwan, but the government is still considering other options to take in Ukrainian nationals who want to come here. And according to the Foreign Minister, his office is currently in talks with the Ministry of the Interior and the Ministry of Education on offering special visas to Ukrainian students and scholars to enable them to actually come here. And Wu says that a final decision on that will be announced soon. Talking of raising funds, while well, President Tsai Ing-wen on Tuesday tweeted that Taiwanese people have already donated critical supplies and more than 21.2 million US dollars to Ukraine. But of course, China is unhappy 
unhappy about this and it's accusing Taiwan of using Ukraine for its own political gain. Now, Beijing has pledged to donate $784,000 to Ukraine and is continuing to refuse to condemn Moscow for its actions and has yet to label the war as an invasion. And China's Taiwan Affairs Office this week criticised Taiwan for sending aid to Ukraine and imposing economic sanctions against Russia, with an office spokesperson saying that the DPP authorities are using the Ukraine issue to validate their existence and piggyback on a hot issue, taking advantage of others' difficulties. The spokesperson in Beijing went on to say that attempts to incite confrontation and create hostility through political manipulation will not succeed. So, Dimitri, of course, people taking to the streets of Taipei, donations for Ukraine, lots of feelings for Ukraine from people here in Taiwan. Well, that's right. It shows that the Taiwan people stand with their Ukrainian counterparts. But but more should be done to give young Ukrainians, people, young Ukrainian people, doctors, engineers, scientists and more, a chance to start a life in Taiwan. Again, we're told to prepare for war because we are the next on the Chinese agenda. That's right. But we are also told that we should, I mean, we are told that young people should join the military, even though we know that it's highly inefficient. Uh, some foreigners in Taiwan even claim that foreigners and new migrants should join it too. These are great excuses to avoid discussing another pressing topic. We need a refugee law to allow refugees to come to Taiwan. Officials and politicians across party lines claim that the regulations that the regulations that are currently in place are sufficient. They are not. More than 2 million refugees have left Ukraine over the past 20 days and many more are expected to leave the country over the next few days. More than 100,000 people in the UK have already expressed hope to welcome refugees in their homes. The same is true in many countries in Europe, which hasn't seen a similar humanitarian crisis since the Second World War. So Taiwan can help and that's the motto from the government. Let's show it. Let's pass this refugee law. Let's welcome refugees to Taiwan. Let's say 50,000. Let's take 50,000 refugees in Taiwan. Can the government do it? Well, that's the answer we will see. Can Taiwan really help? Or is just another motto by the, our top YouTuber in Taiwan, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs? And sure, of course, we were talking before the show about how Eastern European programmers and developers could seriously help Taiwan. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, definitely I agree with Dimitri in the sense that, yes, we should have more, uh, uh, you know, um, yeah, we should have more people coming into Taiwan and Taiwan could use it. Not only do we have a population problem, not only do we need uh, more, what I will say, permanent residents or permanent immigrants to Taiwan, not just temporary, uh, they could also help fill a gap. Like, for instance, Ukraine has 200,000 coders and programmers, uh, 20% of Fortune 500 companies have Ukrainian dev teams. So so, you know, uh, Taiwan, which has a sort of software development gap or proficiency gap versus many other uh, Western nations, can actually hire many of these Ukrainians. Um, you know, according to salaries and other data figures, uh, they're quite affordable for Taiwanese companies. And uh, in Alex included, who was one of the first uh, uh, Ukrainian protesters outside the Moscow Trade Office, he's been there since... Uh, February 24th, he himself is also a coder. So I do think Taiwan stands to benefit. Uh, of course, you know, we should have not only a better refugee program, but the gold card program should be uh, expanded. Uh, given the numbers that the gold card program demands, uh, you know, they could definitely expand that a little bit to allow more Eastern Europeans, uh, especially from backgrounds that Taiwan desperately needs to come in. Uh, case in point, if you look at, let, let's say, uh, even if it's students, like if you look at NTU, according to the Ministry of Education, out of 32,000 students, 
the NTU only has 600 international students who aren't, you know, ABC Huachao, who aren't from Hong Kong, Macau, or China. That's a really low figure. And all the other universities are about 3% or less uh, in terms of having international students that, again, aren't from, you know, Huachao, Macau, China, etc. And so it would be a great thing if we allowed more researchers into Taiwan, if we allowed more of these students to come to Taiwan. There are so many alternatives around the world that they could study for at better rates, cheaper prices that are far closer to home. So if you if Taiwan really wants to help put a dent into its population problem, if Taiwan wants to have, uh, you know, if Taiwan wants to really deal with its quote-unquote brain drain problem and so forth and so on, then, you know, providing doable, viable immigration means for many of these uh, uh, highly skilled, highly trained people is fa- would be fantastic for Taiwan. There's literally nothing to lose. And, you know, uh, another thing I learned is that in there's only one uh, uh, Ukrainian restaurant in all of Taiwan, and it's in Elon. It would be great if we could have more diverse restaurants in Taiwan. Let's bring these people in. They're great. They have a lot of passion. And, uh, you know, let them help help us help each other. So I don't see a lose lose situation for that. It's a win-win. So indeed Taiwan could do more in that aspect. Of course, Sean, President Tsai Ing-wen on Tuesday of this week said that the, the people in Taiwan had basically donated critical supplies and generated more than 21.2 million US dollars rather in aid to Ukraine because that number is slightly more when you when you go off the government's official donation program. Yeah, indeed. If you go on WeBay, last I checked was last week, um, there was over 100 million NT donated. Uh, we're not talking the MOFA account. I'm talking about people who have donated, uh, donated directly to the Ukrainian army, donated directly to all sorts of different organizations, uh, not just uh, uh, the refugee help groups that MOFA has donated to. So indeed, uh, a lot of money has gone through. I'm not sure if it's just $21.2 million. Uh, I do know people are donating huge amounts of money for those who protest uh, outside the Moscow trade office every day. Uh, People have been running up to them with thousands of NT. In one case, a man came up with 10,000 US dollars last week to donate, uh, you know, for the cause. So I think there is a lot of sentiment out there in Taiwan to support them. Even Kimberly Chen, who sang Fragile, that that viral song that uh, criticized, uh, quote unquote, Little Pinks or, uh, you know, uh, China's PRC supporters on the Internet. She herself uh, showed support at a rally last uh, uh, last weekend by singing Imagine. So if you have pop stars coming out, you have uh, all sorts of people from all walks of life in Taiwan coming out in support of Ukraine. Yeah, I do think it has great support everywhere. And of course, Sean, you were one of the organizers of last Sunday's rally, where I believe some 2,000 people took to the streets of Taipei. Yeah, so I was one of the people that have helped out. There was a a great amount of uh, young people that actually came out to help uh, organize uh, the march, uh, which went from Don Park all the way to Kalagaran, uh, the the circle around uh, or in front of the presidential uh, office. So, uh, yeah, uh, there was a huge, again, people from all over, uh, all over Eastern immigrants from Eastern Europe uh, or just Europe in general came out. Uh, there were Tibetans out there. There were just people from everywhere there, uh, you know, showing the, you know, you know, colors of the Ukrainian flag, uh, showing support uh, for uh 
you know, for Ukraine. I do think that even though I think everyone agrees that Taiwan and Ukraine are different enough, uh, I do believe that there was a lot of sentiment that we both have aggressive authoritarian neighbors and nobody really likes that. So uh, there was, again, there was just a lot of support. Uh, it was a well-organized event. Um, it was great to see all these young people uh, coming out and organizing such a great rally. It was, uh, you know, it was also a fantastic seeing how people were able uh, people, Taiwanese people were able to show their support by getting uh, yellow and blue tape, <laughs> putting on on their clothes, uh, others making all sorts of signs and everything. Um, and it just was pretty spontaneous, you know. Uh, and this, by the way, was three times larger than the protests that happened uh the Sunday before at uh, Liberty Square. in uh, So I think it just means that the movement is only growing. And there's more rallies planned. Uh, yeah, there's. Uh, they've already expanded. They had a rally last weekend also at Taizong, and there's going to be another one uh, this Saturday as well. Uh, there are also, um, I, know, I know students at NCKU have been running their own fundraising drive as well, you know, so to get people to donate uh, materials, uh, you know, just things for refugees. Uh, I think uh, there's a psyche or there's a thinking in the Taiwanese mind that we don't want to end up in the same way, and it is good to stand up now. Uh, so to maybe hopefully uh, show that, in one way, to show that Taiwan does have some heart. But more importantly, I think because nobody wants to have the world teach people like Putin or maybe Xi Jinping a lesson that they can have their way uh, without getting, you know, without losing vast amounts of moral support around the world. But do you think if, if you have these rallies too often in Taiwan, it might be people might just become a bit it might become a bit blase about it and go, oh, it's them again. <laughs> uh, of course. I mean, there's always a risk of, of you know, getting people uh, tired out. But so far, I haven't so seen any signs of anything like that happening. Uh, for one thing, um, there has been nonstop coverage of what's happening in Ukraine uh, in, in among the media. Uh, I don't think people are completely tired of it now, especially because there always seems to be new developments so far. Uh, there has also been some hope, which is that maybe Russia might be losing some steam. And if so, and the Ukrainians emerge victorious, I think that is a story a lot of Taiwanese would like to see. So for now, at least, uh, the story is still in the minds of many Taiwanese. And Dimitri, of course, it's, it's basically blanket coverage on cable television news now, the war in Ukraine. Yep, it is. And uh, we also have some Taiwanese reporters who made the trip to uh, to uh, Northern Europe and are planning to get into Ukraine to follow up on this very important topic. Uh, I believe there is, and, and you, you're right, there is a lot of concern about that. But the priority should be to help and bring refugees, if needed, to bring refugees to Taiwan and to change this mindset that we can maybe not just stand with others and donate funds, but Taiwan needs to open up and bring more refugees into Taiwan. And it's not just refugees from Ukraine, uh, maybe refugees from, uh, from, from Africa, from Northern Africa or Southeast Asia. Taiwan have, is facing population aging and maybe uh, welcoming refugee could be a solution to our own problems. Now we have to take a short break now here on Taiwan This Week, this week but we will be back after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to 
Taiwan this week here on ICRT and moving away from events in Ukraine to events in Washington DC where US President Joe Biden is expected to sign into law a spending bill that includes a ban on the use of any maps that inaccurately depict Taiwan as part of China by the US State Department and its foreign operations. The ban is contained in the Department of State Foreign Operations and Related Programs Appropriation Acts of 2022 and it stipulates that none of the funds made available by this act should be used to create, procure or display any map that inaccurately depicts the territory and social and economic system of Taiwan and the islands or island groups administered by Taiwan authorities. So, Dimitri, another act with mention of Taiwan, this to ensure that the US State Department and its foreign operations don't create inaccurately depicting maps of Taiwan, which I thought was should have been the case in the first place, but maybe it's not. Well, uh, well, this is an important decision for Taiwan, which shouldn't be considered as part of the territory of the People's Republic of China. Well, this is a significant legislation, even though I'm not sure how readers in Europe, Asia or Africa should react to color changes on the map. China is not the only country claiming territories based on historical reason. Japan is claiming territories in uh, that belong to uh, the Russian Federation. Uh, China also claims half of the sea in Southeast Asia, and there are many countries around the world who are claiming territories on which maybe they don't even have any control. But is it really from for the U.S. legislator to decide on what is right and wrong, and for them to sanction or not uh, whether these part of these regions belong to whatever country? Well, yes and no. We well more than welcome the U.S. support on these specific issues, but we also hope that maybe to educate readers more and let maybe learners to decide by themselves and understand those very important geopolitical issues. And even though if the color on your map is not the right, right, well, you should know that these territories, especially Taiwan, does not belong to the people. The territory does not belong to the People's Republic of China. Okay. Well, we, we do welcome this move, but it really won't. We should rely more on learners and their ability to understand those very complex issues. Well, I just wanted to clarify that this bill only limits to state uh, limits it to State Department purchases. Uh, so it's not like it will actually change maps in schools and what have you, where schools will purchase maps uh, from you know <laughs> perhaps ma- ma- from the cheapest uh, place where they can get it. Uh, a lot of globes, for example, are made in China, so that's not going to really change for let's say a school setting or a university setting. That said, for the State Department, considering that they deal with international affairs, it would be really sorry if. The U.S. Uh, State Department officials actually relied on maps and maps only in order to determine sovereignty. Thankfully, they generally do not. <laughs> so uh, I don't think it hurts. Uh, I don't think the United States government should at least waste its money on maps that are produced in China that by law have to, uh, uh, by Chinese law within China, have to follow uh, Chinese laws on what they determine uh, uh, sh- uh, uh, on how maps should be drawn out. So, yeah, I I mean, it, I mean. By, by the way, it's not much more expensive to get a map that doesn't have PRC political leanings. So, considering they do have the cheapest maps, but we're not we're not talking about like a ten dollar difference here. This is not even. It's it's ridiculously. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't think it's like a huge deal, but again, uh, I do think that yes, we should have less PRC propaganda uh, around our offices. Considering, like I said before, it is PRC law that they have to be printed a certain way. And of course, Sean, the issue of maps comes up every couple of months in the news. The most recent one that springs to mind is the, the NFL in America. 
It was. It, it released a map of where it was going to do business in the future, and Taiwan was red like China. Ah, uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> people like the uh, uh, groups like the NFL or the NBA and what have you. Uh, they ha- there's a large market in China, and of course the NFL is hoping that it could expand in China more. So of course they will produce maps that appease uh, China. Of course these maps don't really ever please anybody because Chinese ultranationalists will always get upset and they'll say, where's the nine dash line? I want to see Southeast Asia uh, uh, cover too. And, and what about our historical claims here and there? So just a couple of pixels will, will cause a firestorm in China all the time. And I do think that within the PRC, uh, you know, these things are constantly used all the time. Just last week, uh, I forgot who some, yet again, some other pop star's wife's company listed Taiwan separately on her website causing yet another firestorm it's endless you know uh, you know in China they're always trying to stir some nationalistic flame so yeah I mean <laughs> uh, does that mean uh, private companies that are seeking profit will go to China and you know, uh, try to appease them, of course. And that won't stop anytime soon. However, when it comes to government policies and uh, and so forth, I do think more countries around the world should follow uh, the United States, at least the government, in not, uh, you know, being reliant on PRC propaganda maps. And moving away from geopolitical issues now to local issues. And police on Tuesday of this week arrested two people in connection with last week's power outage at Taoyuan International Airport's second terminal. Both the suspects are airport contract workers. And police and prosecutors say they were arrested on suspicion of causing the blackout by cutting electrical cables at the power parts of the building. Now, law enforcement officials say the suspects were identified following a review of a surveillance footage. It's an airport. Hey, there's loads of cameras. Anyway, they caught them at a vehicle access channel located under the terminal and the footage shows the two individuals climbing onto a catwalk in the access channel's exposed ceiling area where police say they used a hydraulic cable cutter to cut electrical cables. The footage also shows the two suspects fleeing the area after the basically the hydraulic cable cutter somehow got stuck on one of the cables. Now they remain detained on suspicion of violating the Civil Aviation Act and the Criminal Code. Now while that may appear to be the end of the matter, lawmakers on Wednesday demanded that the Ministry of Transport open an administrative investigation into how the two contract workers may have caused the power outage at the airport. Now according to KMT lawmaker Hong Meng Kai, he finds it unbelievable that someone could use a hydraulic cable cutter to paralyse an international airport and the incident is highly worrying as it exposes threats to the country's border controls, while DPP lawmaker Lin Chun Shen said he finds it strange that the company contracted by the airport could have employed one of the suspects as he's actually a prison inmate who's currently out on compassionate leave. Lawmakers are demanding that details of the administrative investigation into the incident be submitted by the end of this month for review. And while the Transport Ministry is acknowledging the vulnerability of the cables, it also says it will enforce stricter identity checks for airport personnel and ensure that there are more frequent patrols. So Dimitri of course two louts get into the airport because they're hired to work in the airport and for like fits and giggles or for theft reasons or for some other unknown reason they cause a blackout which of course is a bit worrying. Well what what really concerns me is the safety issues because if you have like a power shortage like this and if it affects the uh, the tower the main tower that controls the traffic at the airport that could have create a very serious uh, safety issues but again I'm I'm just also 
surprised that a criminal a criminal act like this, and you see legislators jumping on the train and having like and reviewing these issues in the commission. Uh, um, a legislative UN, and you have uh, legislators from the opposition and the ruling party accusing each other. So, well, yes, this is a criminal criminal offense, and I believe that there will be a, there will be an investigation. And uh, well, but we really need to look at to the safety issues first to make sure that this then never happens again. Well, I mean, it's it's really difficult because, for well, for one thing, thankfully, uh, you know, traffic control towers and, and critical systems generally have backup power supplies uh, in order to thwart this issue. However, um, it is indeed the case that, uh, you know, a hydraulic cutter could cut through power cables. And uh, generally speaking, uh, a lot of buildings don't have uh, triple redundant <laughs> uh, separated power supplies, you know, just like many buildings don't have, you know, uh, uh, you know, many huge duplicate numbers of, let's say, water sources or sewage and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, it, it does require some review. Why? Because uh, it's been commonly said that, uh, you know, if China does declare war against Taiwan, uh, that there will be tons of saboteurs and they will do everything they can, just like they did in Ukraine, in order to cause problems such as cutting power, uh, cutting water and things like that. So could we have better security? Absolutely. I do think security in Taiwan is is really lax. Uh, Taiwan is a very trusting society. You know, you leave your uh, keys on your scooter or even in your car and no one's probably going to steal it. You could leave it there for a week or two. So we have this very trusting society in Taiwan. However, when it comes to critical things like, uh, uh, you know, hiring people who are dealing with critical aspects, I do think more clearance needs to be you know, use and, and and the question then comes down to: Will these corporations or you know spend the extra money uh, in order to hire for better security? The answer is probably not. We're notoriously conservative and, and, and cheap in Taiwan. We like to not spend a lot, right? So I do think one of the things the government can do is by offering maybe tax incentives or other regulatory concerns in order to uh, ensure that when it comes to critical infrastructure, the people working on these things do have a clear background. And Dimitri, I mean, Sean made a point about security in Taiwan. Of course, it is lax in various places. Not it just is. the airport. I mean, there are numerous occasions where people have just wandered into areas they shouldn't have been in. Yeah, well, usually as a foreigner in Taiwan, if you just give a smile, usually you can get almost anywhere. They will just, they won't ask many questions. Maybe sometimes as a foreigner because they're afraid of speaking English. So it's usually pretty casual. Uh, when you go to the legislative UN, you just show your name card. You just uh, exchange a badge and usually can you can get in. It's not the case in most countries. And so, yes, the, the, uh, Taiwan maybe needs to improve its security. Um, Taiwan still has the right mindset, pretty open-minded. But this is a criminal offense. It's just the, these people uh, went specifically to that location to get the cables they wanted. Uh, it, it could happen again. Uh, so, well, as a criminal offense, we need to do a clear investigation. We need to exactly understand why and how they would pl they plan to resell the equipment okay because before they went to the airport they knew already knew who would buy the such an equipment these are also just high voltage electrical cables they could have went anywhere and stolen these you know uh, why would you go to an airport with all the security uh, and you have to show ids you have to leave tr a, a huge amount of tr you know 
information behind just to do that, right? Yes, security could be improved, but another aspect of me thinks there's so much more easier ways in Taiwan that is so trusting to to steal, you know, essentially what is, you know, metals, <laughs> you know, than going to an airport, having to get a hydraulic cutter, having to, get, you know, try to get hired to get it. It's like a bank heist, except you're stealing lemonade, you know. <laughs> there are plenty of other, uh, you could, there's industrial, entire industrial districts in Taiwan producing similar cables or it just has stuff lying around. So I just don't get why, you know, these two uh, guys, these criminals had to, do this it just seems really really dumb dumb there we go yeah <laughs> they were employees that didn't realize there was cameras oh what a shame <laughs> anyway before we go this week the national development council announced this week that it's planning to unveil its roadmap to achieve net zero emissions by the end of this month according to council minister gong wing shin the proposal for reaching net zero emissions here in taiwan by 2050 will lay out the country's future energy mix gong says it will also include proposals for revising laws and regulations to facilitate efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and measures to promote new technologies such as electric vehicles however the minister is not providing any other details on what the plan may include but he is stressing that taiwan's efforts to date on renewable energy are focused on solar power and offshore wind power but some options being floated by the ndc have been seeking international cooperation on the development of hydrogen energy and carbon capture and storage technology the council says it's been in talks with industry representatives on the promotion of decarbonized energy systems high energy efficiency in various industries green transportation and negative emissions technologies so dimitri the ndc gonna finally release its plan for how taiwan's going to basically meet net zero emissions by the end of this month well we already know it's an ambitious plan so we're looking forward to uh, to read it uh, maybe they could maybe add a few words after that. It's an ambitious plan to achieve net zero emissions without blackouts because that's the major concern we have right now. Uh, yes, uh, Taiwan, it, we've been waiting for this for some time and we're looking forward to see which measures they will unveil to boost electricity, not just electricity consumption, but also electricity conservation. We need to save and learn to save energy. Maybe uh, by shutting down the air conditioner sometimes in, in some of these 24-7 uh, convenience stalls. But say, energy con conservation should also, and I hope, be part of that master plan to achieve this net zero emission. So, well, I'm looking forward to look at it, but it's really a difficult time. It's, is it really the right time to announce such a plan? I don't know. Uh, I generally think that it is because for the United Nations in general, they said that uh, most countries around the world, they have a plan for most countries around the world uh, to achieve uh, net zero emissions, hopefully by 2050. So this is Taiwan following the global, uh, quote unquote, a global standard. That said, how much of it is achievable? Well, uh, this is really complicated. For one thing, uh, Taiwan energy usage has always been increasing, just like the rest of the world is, uh, you know, uh, just here's a simple example, 5G routers uh, or base stations just use many times more energy than 4G. Uh, as technology improves, we just end up using more and more power. Uh, does this mean that we could find ways to be more efficient? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, new technologies just use 
less power in terms of efficiency. However, overall, they generally tend to use more and more. So there's there's a lot of problems here uh, in Taiwan. Uh, you know, I do agree that yes, maybe we could increase uh, conservation standards. For instance, uh, not every Seven Eleven needs to have air conditioning blasting. That said, that is a small percentage of energy use compared to our factories. You know, so if you look at TSMC or you know companies like Foxconn, they use a lot more energy than you know. Uh, uh, you know, so so you yourself or a regular person turning off the AC, unfortunately, isn't going to make a huge dent in the bigger picture of Taiwan energy usage. How does Taiwan solve this problem? Well, it's kind of a rat race, right? Because uh, as we try to produce more power plants and so forth to meet the energy needs of people, and then there's climate change on top of that, which might cause all sorts of havoc. Which get, which you know means if if the summers get hotter, then you'll need more AC. If the winters get colder, you'll need more heating. Uh, all this is a problem, and uh, it's not going to be an easy thing. So of course, I do look forward to what the National Development Council has for plans. But uh, there's going to be, it's going to be evolving. This will not be, this roadmap will be just a roadmap. Uh, there's going to be situations evolving. Even right now, gas prices, for example, are rising around the world because of conflict in Eastern Europe, uh, problems with Russia. So what will happen in the end, right? Uh, does this mean that uh, our LNG plans to act as a stopgap measure before going to uh, more green energy is a failure? Like I said, the situation will always be evolving, and it's going to be a complicated road. Uh, another issue is that uh, electric vehicles are becoming more and more vogue, especially in Taiwan, and that will only increase our energy needs. So it's going to be quite a complicated time in the future, and we will see what to do. One thing I need to note is that for many decades, uh, authorities in Taiwan uh, did not address the power issues until it had to be. Uh, they did not deal with upgrading the in, uh, the energy grid. They did not agree, deal with power problems until now. Uh, politics, as usual, rears its ugly head, and it's easier to just leave the problem to the next administration. This administration has no choice but to deal with it because it's been left uh, stagnating since the Li Denghui era. So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting times ahead. And Dimitri, obviously, energy conservation is important, but obviously the infrastructure, the way tyre power operates, its pylons, to, be, to make it down to its basic level, the age of some of its pylons... Well, to carry the electricity. They're a bit old and they maybe could be made newer, put newer systems in place. That's why I think it's a, it's a dangerous time to release such a report, knowing that uh, for this year, uh, we already expect blackouts. We already know that there won't be enough electricity and the, the, that will impact uh, power supply. So if you want to improve those infrastructures at the same time, that makes the whole equation even more complicated. But the good thing with a master plan like that is the goal is in 2050. Well, let's talk about this in 2045. So there is no hurry in looking into whether we will achieve those goals or not. It's just a master plan. So let's see how things will unfold in the next few years. 
Well, uh, yeah, and of course, you know, um, a lot of the energy lost or blackouts that happened in the recent years were not actually due to the lack of energy, but due to accidents, uh, worker accidents, uh, you know, uh, you know, a power switch problem triggering more issues. So these sound like energy grid problems. Taiwan's energy grid pr- uh, efficiency, though, is a whole other matter because although we need to upgrade it, a whopping three percent of energy, roughly, is wasted, uh, uh, you know, through energy grid inefficiency. So if we can fix that, you know, that's like almost a whole new power plant right there. Uh, I do think uh, more investment into upgrading our energy grid, uh, upgrading our uh, power systems is one stopgap uh, and necessary measure that needs to be done. And uh, in terms of producing more power, yeah, again, like uh, the accidents means that Thai power needs better oversight over its uh, workers. And uh, it needs to, they really need to come up with uh, better training procedures because uh, if we, we look back, Taiwan has had all sorts of little accidents here and there, uh, you know, be it from uh, Taiwan Rail, be it, uh, uh, you know, construction accidents. So I think more regulatory uh, standards run by maybe independent bodies to try to improve the situation may help. But again, these things are highly complicated. Uh, uh, So there's no easy solution. It's going to be a long road ahead. And we'll leave it with a not easy solution there. And that's been Taiwan This Week This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And I've been joined in the studio today by Sean Su. Uh, It's great to be back. And Dimitri Burias. Hi, good evening. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.